My name is Stephen Downey and you are very welcome to episode 40 of the Mindful Living Guide. This week we have a very special guest. When you think endurance athlete, when you think of challenges, nobody ever thinks of carrying a washing machine to the top of a mountain. This week I'm speaking to Enda Hodarty, a really sought after speaker who has done some amazing challenges to raise awareness and money for mental health charities. He has climbed to the top of Kilimanjaro with a washing machine on his back. Yes, a washing machine. Only last week he was rocking it in the Pendulum Summit in Dublin in front of nearly 10,000 people. His talk was the highlight of many people's two days at Pendulum. He is an unbelievable inspirational person and I am honoured have him on the show. Sit back and enjoy this week's episode of The Mindful Living Guide. I'm Stephen Downey, The Mindful Living Guide, and you are so welcome to this episode of The Mindful Living Guide with our guest, Enda Hodarty. Enda, you're so welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Big fan and I've been listening lots. And anyone listening to this, do yourself a favor and go back and listen to some previous previous episodes. I really appreciate that. Um, I look back at you and we, we've been messaging each other nearly two years and you were listening since then. So I, I really appreciate the support. It means a lot to me. Um, you're welcome. And you're, welcome. And, uh, you're fresh off the stage at uh, Pendulum in Dublin uh, last week. And even all weekend, I've had massive uh praise for your talk and the difference you make to people's lives and it's been a hell of a journey to get there um, <laughs> but what's it like to be at the top of your game um do you know what i don't think i'm on top of my game and um do you know after pendulum there was an after show party and we were we were all chatting and uh you know there were people coming up and asking me for selfies even asking me could uh, would i sign programs and stuff and like i just kept looking at my wife and going what the hell is this about like it, it's it's not me um I think I asked Keith Barry on, on my own podcast. I said to Keith, what's it like to be famous? And he said, I'm not. And I said, I are. Come on now, Keith, everyone, you're on TV and movies. And he said, I'm well known. And I said, what's the difference between famous and well known? And he said, well, I want to stay grounded. I want to stay a good person. So uh, it was a brilliant experience. But, um, you know, for staying calm and, and ha- keeping your values, I think you can't beat those things. Um, somebody was slagging me. They said, what was Michael Johnson like? Or what was this celebrity like? Or what was Barney McGuigan like? So um, what I did um, the first day of the convention was I stayed out of the speakers because I didn't want to frighten myself. You know, you can you can stress yourself by looking at other people and doubting yourself, but you can also ground yourself. So what I did was I went and spoke to every member of staff I could find in the convention center. So um, hello, Mary on the front desk, if you're there, or Carlos in security and uh, I went and talked to all these people and found out about their families and found out about what it was like to work in the convention center, what events were on. Um, and they were real people and it was lovely. And the amazing thing is like I stepped on stage the next day and I had 50 people in that building who greeted me when I came in and were rooting for me and who knew my wife, like my poor wife nearly died because everywhere she went in the building security were like, Oh, hello, Maeve. Hello, Maeve. <laughs> but like, it's keeping it authentic like that is good. Keeping it real, you know, but it was, um, it was an amazing experience. Um, you know, we talked there before we started recording when you're talking about things that are important in your life or things that are emotionally 
you know, tough times in your life, it's, you know, it's like pulling the scab off a knee. It can hurt a bit. And um, I definitely was shook afterwards. I mean, talking about being suicidal and talking about alcoholism, it's a really good thing. It's a really important thing to do. Like it's, you know, it's a privilege to be able to tell a story that like I'm all, I step on stage and I always think just one person, if one person hears this story and one person decides to live because of what I've said, what a brilliant job I'm doing, you know? And, um, but I, I will say when I came off stage, I was completely devastated, sat down and cried like a baby, you know? It's like the, all the pain from that scab getting pulled off just, just hit you at once. Yeah, I think, you know, people ask me when I like my, my backstory for anyone who's listening to this is, um, as my wife calls it, midlife crisis part one. I, I carried a washing machine from Belfast to Waterford, which was nine marathons in eight days. And uh, the first question I, well, I get asked, am I money laundering? Am I out for a short spin or a long spin, Stephen? I get asked, um, is it, did you t- is it a real washing machine? The washing machine was the same weight as an average 12 year old, right? And if you picked up a 12 year old and did nine marathons, it would hurt like hell. But it's not the weight, you know, like people listening to this show, I'm sure will have an interest in mental health and, you know, and being mindful and living a good life. And the problem that you have in your life, it's not the size of the problem. It's how long you carry that and how big that seems to you. You know, like there's a pen on my desk there. If anyone's watching this on YouTube, that pen is not heavy. But if I extend my arm and hold that pen for long enough, you know, that pen will take my arm off. It'll hurt like hell. And um I suppose that's why I carried the washing machine. You know, it was a simple mental health message. Uh, in Ireland this week, we will lose 10 people to suicide. And those people die mostly because they felt the load they were carrying was impossible to bear and they didn't put it down. And, and my simple mental health message with the washing machine was ask for help, put it down. Because the minute I put down my load and asked for help, my life improved dramatically, you know. But um, yeah, nine marathons in eight days. And then uh, midlife crisis part three, as the wife calls it, is uh, it even sounds strange saying it to you, but I went to Africa to Kilimanjaro and I climbed um, the world's tallest freestanding mountain for some reason with a washing machine strapped. to my. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself, Stephen, strapped to my back. But it, what an it, adventure. It sounds funny, but like, I just think you've brought such a focus over the year, though, to mental health, because it's such an analogy that we do literally walk around with such luggage on our back that nobody can see and so so um to actually give someone a vision something i know you you, you always joke about it ah yes tongue in cheek and all that but it, it was such a powerful powerful message for for a lot of people to see yeah yeah well I, i'll be honest it was a media idea too like you know if you're raised, anyone listening to this i'm sure has raised money for different charities and it's so hard to come up with something different or original but instantly like every newspaper every tv like i did an interview for i don't know it was then the flipping dubai times and you know someone sent me an article in the talk in some newspaper in tokyo about this irish fellow with a washing machine i actually the funniest one was someone sent me an extract from a a climbers magazine and uh, it was like a a blog or a discussion thing a forum and they were just they were actually discussing did somebody go up kilimanjaro with a washing machine or was it a joke like is this irish guy did he exist and it was Bits it doesn't of sound bit. real. No, it doesn't sound real, but like it, it, it grabbed me the attention. But like the message was so simple and powerful. Put the bloody thing down and ask for help, you know. Um, and it's it, it worked. You know, we 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 got enough money to open a mental health uh, facility here where I live in Waterford City. And like I've lost track of the amount of time someone has come up to me and said, Thank you for saving my life, or thank you. I, I found the courage to say something because of your washing machine, you know. And uh, I I can do I can do telepathy, Stephen. There's people listening to this saying, "Where's the washing machine now?" It's in the shed. 
I, I ha- five years later, I can't throw it out. It's like my best yeah. friend. I go out and look at it. I'm not talking to it now, but I go out and look at it. And I, I have such it, fond memories of it. Like, oh my God. Like you'd have to go back and just revisit every now and again. Just go back and just see the, the, the yeah in the garden. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird. I mean, like on the walk from Belfast to Waterford, I lost all of my toenails. I lost the fat pads of my feet. Um, I had hallucinations. Like within two days, the main road was a giant snake. Um, it was really bad. I had what can only be described as Chernobyl diarrhea. It literally glowed in the dark. I was in bits. I was listening back to um, another uh, podcast you were on and you were saying that at one point, did a friend have to stop you and tell you to stop taking drugs? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> hello, Owen, if you're listening. Yeah, so my minder, Owen, my eight foot tall uh, minder, you know, we were walking along at one stage and uh, actually somewhere outside Carlo and he said he sort of said, can I talk to you on my own? And I said, yeah, and we we're on our own. He said, look, he said, um, either you, you can't take any more painkillers or you or you have to stop. He said, like, you've reached you've reached your limit at everything. You know, I was like he pointed out to me that my my mustache was completely white, uh, but white like plastic. It was covered in salt crystals. Right, I was yeah. completely dehydrated. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I pushed myself. Like, if anyone's listened to this done a marathon, they know it hurts. But do nine of them in a row and uh, carry a washing machine at the same time. It it really hurt. But I, like, I don't like. I, I'm sitting here with you now, and I have um, like I've arthritis in both feet. I need knee surgery. I've had shoulder surgery. Um, like, I proper broke myself and beat myself up. But the thing is. It was such an amazing helping people doing something good made it's completely worth it. It's absolutely completely worth it, you know. The um the resilience you needed, like that, like people don't just go out and just do things like that. Um they have to have a, an ability to dig deep. Um I don't want to focus on before all this and yeah. and uh, I know you're very open about uh, there was a period of alcoholism in there as well, but what created that resilience and that ability to just keep going and keep going and not give up um well it's it's persistent consistent effort allows people to do great things um so if you think about what your weakness is my my like i this is one of the things i spoke about a pendulum my superpower is something that was killing me so i'm an alcoholic which means I was drinking huge amounts of alcohol. I was going to die from alcoholism. But I, and for a long time, I was ashamed about it and embarrassed telling people, you know, that I was an alcoholic. But, you know, in, in recent years, I've suddenly realized that your weakness can be your superpower. So, um, like, I want to do a TED Talk. We were saying there, <laughs> and I've just switched on my focus to TED Talk. And I'm telling you, it will happen because I can't switch it off. And Pendulum happened for the same reason. And thank God it went so well because, you know, as crazy as it sounds, I was over a hundred hours preparation for a 15 minute talk. Now, most people can't do that. So my weakness is one of the reasons the resilient came from. I think the other thing too, is I would hope I have great empathy as a person. And like, I know what it feels like to be absolutely crippled with anxiety and empowered, uh, you know, powerless. Uh, I know what it feels like to be in the darkest depression you know, that you're walking around and it's like a black fog. You can see the bloody thing. You can taste it. You can smell it. And the level of sadness and fear is so big that you're starting to contemplate ending your own life because you want to escape this feeling. And I, I swore to myself, Stephen, I promised myself that when I got sober and when I got fit and I got strong, that I was going to put my hand into that cloud and pull someone else out of it. And um, that's partly where the resilience comes from. The 
the huge amount of tra- preparation. I mean, like, you know, for Kilimanjaro, I was like Saturday and Sunday was six to seven hours uphill both days carrying 40 kilos, two twenty kilo weights in a backpack. Um, like you had to, to, to be able to do these events, people sort of see the event, but they don't see the, the huge effort. Like I've done a couple of Ironman events, was, which was, I was good. literally going to say like before this though, you, you, you trained for Ironman. So you, you had done some extreme events before. Yeah. That. Yeah. So for anyone listening, the Ironman swim is 4k, the bike is 180 and the run is 44 all consecutively with time limits that you must meet. Um, I, I like num- numbers don't make sense to people, Stephen. So if we go with this, um, go to your local swimming pool with 2000 people and do about 250 lengths, uh, get out of the pool. And if you're listening to this in Dublin, cycle to Cork. And when you get to Cork, run the Cork city marathon. Um, that was, <laughs> that was as crazy as it sounds, but like to do that, I had to, for a year, every morning before work, you had to run for an hour, come in in the evening, get up on the bike for an hour or swim for an hour. Saturday was usually a five-hour bike and a one-hour run for a year. So people think the iron bit of Ironman is they see the event. People think the iron bit of the washing machine. It's the process. It's it's the ability to keep knocking it out. I think people are always fascinated with the pain. There was um there was a friend of mine walking with us on uh, somewhere on, I don't know, Marathon 7 or 8, and... I said to him, I need to pee. <laughs> he said, go over there, have a pee in the gate. And it's quite difficult to pee. With, I don't know if you've ever peed with a washing machine on your back. It's quite difficult. It's quite difficult. And, uh, but he said, look, Lada, there's a gate. Strap in that washing machine and give it a go. <laughs> yeah, she, she said, uh, he said to me, you know, there's a big gate to go over there. Yeah. And I don't remember saying this to him. He said this to me a couple of weeks afterwards that, yeah. I turned to him and I said, no, I, I won't go to the toilet until I can't take the pain in my bladder. And he suddenly said, why? And I said, the, the pain frequency for my bladder is different from the pain in my feet. And and I, I get some relief from my feet because I'd be feeling my, my bladder is really, really hurting me. And he went home and he, he said, he said to his wife that night that he suddenly realized that while he was with me, I was in a parallel universe. He said, when someone is trading pain types, he said he realized I'd gone to a different place. I think, I think too, I don't know if you have, did you ever have a really good conversation with someone in the car, Steve, when you're driving and, you know, a long drive just goes in two seconds. I, I, it's not that I have huge tolerance for pain, but I can go so deep. I can be like, I'm loving your, your logo and your poster, but I can be so deep in mindfulness. I can go like, it's, it's pretty much trance-like. I don't remember big chunks of it. You know, people say to me, do you remember that really funny man we met? Or do you remember that gorgeous girl? Or did you, geez, did you see the house with the three cars? And I'm like, nope, saw nothing. Picked a spot on the road. Um, people often think I'm praying because to relieve the pressure on my chest and my shoulders, I put my two hands together like that out in front. And I would literally stare at my two thumbs and I can do that for 10 hours. And I'm like, I've left the planet. I'm... <laughs> How long, when you were walking from uh, Belfast to Waterford, like uh, how long was you, were you going each day? Like, do you, like obviously. So we did, we planned to do 30 miles each day was the target. Right. So just over a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. But, but time wise, like this is like, you're, you're oh, it was eight, eight nine hours. Um, I, okay. I had one really bad, the first day I nearly messed up. One of the girls who was with us, um, I was having a great day chatting along and I took my eye off the game and you, you can't miss your heart rate. You can't miss your drinks, your food. You have to be professional. You have to have a medical crew. She started telling me that the reason she came was that um, 
she had she had lost her her boyfriend to suicide and that's why she came with me and um she told me you know a really sad personal story and i listened and um i stopped eating for about 40 minutes an hour stopped drinking and i was on about 700 calories an hour and we got back to the first hotel first physio and i went into i had a seizure i went into like a it's like a hypoglycemic shock like my yeah. my body was totally out of sugars and salts and uh yeah I, I literally stiffened top to toe and bounced i was shaken out and i should fright some of the younger the people <laughs> Um, you see, this the thing is, you know, I, I, I said to people, you know, one of the great things you can do in life is always surround yourself with positive, brilliant people. Um, yeah. I had a super professional physio team. I had Des O'Mara and, you know, Des brought three or four physios to every hotel we stayed in the whole way down. And wow, he had seen it before. Des just put a, you know, those foil blankets around me. Yep. He opened my mouth and he poured um, sugar under my tongue and uh, held my hand. He said, you'll be OK. Just the pain will subside. You'll be OK breathe into it and I was okay you know but the same on Kilimanjaro like we had um, we traveled uh, we had a full medical team like we had a proper uh, doctor oxygen steroids everything with us and you know because it's some of it was day you know I mean we had um, not in our group but there was a group behind me on the mountain on summit night and there was a young lady 32 across fitter and um, she lost her life on the mountain that night and You know, really brought home to us. Um, the, the, the final night in Kilimanjaro is it's not easy, even, even if you're not wa- carrying a washing machine. Is, is, is it no, 14, no, 15 hours or so? Or, or yeah. So, on so, like the weird thing for anyone, like Kilimanjaro is, it's no steeper than Slevenham on. It's, 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 it's just a long rock. It's easy physically to go up it, but the problem is temperature and oxygen. So, um, like I got altitude sickness on the first day, threw up all over my wife. Um, on day two, like I can bench my person, I can lift 170, I can bench 115. Um, and on day two, it took me an hour and a half to eat a slice of toast because it was so heavy. I couldn't lift it off the plate. That's what altitude sickness is. It was just horrendous. Um, like as fit as I was going out there, it was taking me 40 to 45 minutes to put my sleeping bag into a plastic bag in the morning. Like an exhausting, like the worst workout you ever did in your life. It's like the slightest thing was just horrendous yeah yeah and you start off in 30 degrees in the jungle 100 humidity we ended up at minus 25 at, at minus 25 if you stare at someone like that your eyeballs start to freeze um like i had on summit night i had a waterproof jacket i had a really expensive uh down jacket i had a fleece i had skins i had a t-shirt and i had my water bottle inside of all of that about a half an hour in on summit night i went to get my water bottle it was completely frozen like rock solid. Yeah. Rock solid. Um, on summit night, about an hour and a half from the top, um, my medical team turned to me and said, and you have about 10 to 15 minutes before you die. Um, my oxygen saturation level was so low. If it was at sea level, I would have been in an ambulance and here I was trotting up the mountain with this thing. So, um, but you didn't get there. You got there no, the end. no, oh, you I was uh, no, I got oh. to about an hour and a half from the top, and uh, you know, I'm so glad I failed, and and yeah. it's okay. Like I the thing realize. was, our our mental health message was share the load, ask for help, yeah. and it was the Tanzanians and my Irish friends and family that got that washing machine to the top, and as much yeah. as it hurt me, it got a hundred times more money and a hundred times more publicity because the slogan was reality. You know, um, I think a lot of people who are with us were very surprised because my wife, who has walked every step of every journey with me, um, 
you know, the medical team said, end it, it's over. Like I, they had given me, I had three or four shots of steroids on the mountain on, on summit night. Uh, I had like a couple of stops with oxygen, but I like, it's, it's a terrible thing to describe, but I knew I was dying. I could feel the life. I could feel light leaving me. I knew like it's, it's just an awful feeling, but I knew if I push and the thing is I had to have people around me. We all need people to look out for us, but in advance, we had agreement on what would happen. You know, this, this wasn't going to be my decision because I would have kept going and pushed too hard. Um, but it's funny, my wealth, myself and my wife, we had disco- discovered or just talked through every possible scenario. Steve, what would we do if this happened? What if we do if that happened? And because you need to make those decisions in Ireland, in your kitchen or in the sitting room over a cup of tea. And we talked out every scenario, including death, including, you know, injuries, all the rest. But so when it came to it, um, we knew the decision that was being made. She gave me a kiss and, and walked. And I think everyone else was like, what the feck is going on here? Did she walk on? Sorry. <laughs> she was, because that was what we had agreed. Wow. We had agreed that she would finish and she would get to the top and I would be, I would do the right thing for her and the kids and I would come home safe. And uh, so the group, first group left me and I was sitting on a rock. Um, I, I'll send you the video because I have it. Yeah. I have to, if you know um, Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, yeah. the, where they're all with the dark, with the white light shine up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a head torch. I'm sitting on a rock. It's four o'clock in the morning. It's minus 20. I'm on my own on top of Kilimanjaro and I am heartbroken that this has gone wrong and I'm crying. And uh, my best friend, Martin, I hope he's listening to this, but Martin was maybe six, seven hundred meters down the mountain behind me struggling to come up. And he could hear me in the distance crying. And he said, like, he said, he just couldn't believe he could hear this literally wailing. And they they gave me you see, the thing is, too, is if you have to if if you have to get taken off the mountain, um, I'm 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 a big lump. There's 110 yeah. kilos of me. That's four to five people carrying yeah. and putting them at risk. So. Before I got to that point, I had to walk. But it's not like a 5K where you step off the road and ring the husband and he yeah. picks you up or the wife. Yeah, um, I still had eight hours walk back to camp. And uh, it's funny, they, they put one of the one of the Sherpas, one of the guides with me. And I turned to this guy and I said, how are you doing? I am Andrew. And I said, what's your name? And he said, my name is Good Luck. And I was, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, good luck, my ass, you know. But the 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 um the Tanzanians were shockingly brilliantly happy people. My God, wow. you know, I mean, what one one of my minders looked at my hand one day. I said, "Jesus, my hand are filthy. They were green and manking." Yeah, I showed him my hand. I said, "Jesus, Emmanuel, what the hell is that in my hand?" And your man goes, "He says that's adventure. You're li- <laughs> you're living, you know." And I I I wrote down a hundred things they said to me, Stephen, that we need to hear as Irish people. Like I said, I said to one of the guys, "How can you climb Kilimanjaro?" like 15 times in a year, you know, it's tough. Yeah. And how, how do you do that even? And he just looked at me and said, I love my kids. You know, that's, that's why he did it. I love my yeah. kids. Just that simple, you know, but the mountain was, ah, listen, anyone listen to this, don't let me put you off. I, I wouldn't recommend doing it with a washing machine, but I definitely yeah. go like, it's I mean, it's incredible. Charge. It's incredible. To, and to see the, to see, like I went out there thinking I was a middle-class Irish guy, you know, and I realized I was a multimillionaire. You know, when you see real poverty, when you see people with no shoes, no running water, like I, I was in this Tanzanian village and I was, I was, I was just standing on my own looking at this house and I saw handprints on the house. And it was only when I looked again, I realized that it was a mud hut. They had no electricity, no running water, nothing, absolutely nothing. And the bottom of the house had small hands. And if you can imagine, as you went up the house, the hands got bigger. And it's because the family had built the house, the mud house, and the little hands were the kids. You could see how high the kids could reach. 
and they were the happiest people that I've ever met in my life. Do you know they get up every morning and the way they start their day, they started dancing and singing. And they were on like tiny money carrying stuff up and down the mountain for us Westerners. And they were bursting with joy, absolutely bursting with joy. And uh, I was going to ask you, is the end of the start of that journey different to the end of that stopped at the top of that mountain? Oh, God, yeah. Because I I talk an awful lot to people about enjoying your journey and to actually really embrace every step of every day and every moment of every day. Because a lot of people, they set a massive goal like that. And it's either, obviously, you didn't get to the very top, but it it seems like it didn't, because you had planned and talked about it so much, it didn't change who you are. But I'd say that I, what kind of difference did it make though every step of that journey to you personally? Um, I, I, I didn't realize how physically strong I was. I didn't realize how mentally strong I was. And it's lovely when, when life throws crap at me now, I'm like, come on, bring me, bring it. I can do this. You know, um, there was a good friend of mine on, on the Belfast to Waterford walk. And there's one day my, I was literally bleeding from the feet. I had, I was really at the end of my rope. Like I was just, bad I was really suffering pain and he looked at me because I'm so jealous of you and I was like what are you jealous of you know and he said I'm jealous of your emotional history and I said Jesus I said what is emotional history and he said he said what you're getting from these adventures he said for the rest of your days he said a normal person goes across the shopping center and twists their ankle and breaks it and screams like and thinks oh my god this is terrible my life is ruined this is agony he said you probably blink you probably go like it relative to you know what you've got through um, I tell you what I got. I learned a huge amount. Um, I got the most incredible friends. There are people on both of those walks that I ring every single day that I consider flesh and blood family. And I love them if they're listening. Um, like I learned, you know, not to be so hard on myself, like to be forgiving of myself, to be kind to yourself. You know, if most people listening to this Stephen, wrote down every time they had a negative thought this week, write down that negative thought. If someone in your workplace or someone in your life said to you what you say to yourself, you'd leave or you'd sack them or you'd go to a tribunal. But we, we like I, I learned to be kinder to me. Um, I think I learned, too, that um, and it's I don't want to sound like, uh, you know, like one of these American motivational speakers. Apologies to any of my American friends listening, but I learned the power of dreaming. Like I'm, I'm, I'm liberated. I can I can dream the most incredible things and pursue them and not to feel Oh God, why not me? Like, oh God, I couldn't say, I couldn't do that. Like, like all of these adventures have, have really set my, my thought process free, you know. Um, it's like a, a limitless power within you then. Yeah, yeah and I, like it sounds gobbledygook. And like if someone came near me with like, I don't know, like and told me they had a magic crystal or so. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not that mad spiritual person. I don't have these like beliefs, but it, it I can feel it. I can actually feel the difference in my life that... Um, that I'm liberated, that I can do more things. And, you know, sometimes sometimes people nearly have my beatified, Stephen, because I've done so much for charity, talking mental health. And then I say, say something really inappropriate or tell a filthy joke or fart, and they're, like, appalled, like Saint Enda has said something terrible. But, <laughs> yeah, but like, I, I, I want to escape the bad things and bad feelings. And one of the things I discovered, like, you know, and if anyone's listened to this, I swear to God it works is helping other people is the best possible therapy for yourself. Um, like, you know, I had a horrible journalist ask me a question. More, one of the worst questions they've ever been asked in a podcast or an interview. He was he he said, where you know, you're very busy in life, Andy. He said, um, 
you know, and you talked about alcoholism and depression and suicide, where are your demons now? I thought it was the most horrible question to ask. Where are your demons now? As in, can we see them, you know? And uh, I just said to this guy, I said, you know what? They're they're with me. They're inside me. But um, right now they're on page 10 of a very long list. They're at the end of the page. I said, I'm too busy doing stuff, too busy learning, too busy helping people. Um, It helps me, you know? But like, I, I, I couldn't tell you how much I learned. Like, so many skills, so many new adventures. Like it's just like, like I'm just a regular Joe. So, so somebody very kindly gave me a gift of a safari uh, for, for going to Africa and raising all the money. It was one of the days after, you know, and uh, like, like a lot of people I went to, the, I've often been as a child up to the Azu, um, Jesus, to see a bull elephant and his wife and the baby elephant walking towards you. And the guy in charge says, nobody's to talk. They'll charge you're holding your breath like holy god or like to see we actually saw a leopard chase down a gazelle and kill it in front of us and the whole lot of us standing there like just amazed at these things you know like like what an adventure i mean my my book um i don't know have i got a cup jesus no, I don't for anyone one. that's uh listening it's, oh it's on the screen how stupid am i screen, look, look like this i look it's, the called, it's called i'm fine and actually it's, it's very interesting because the image on your book um Obviously, it's about mental health, about, it's about yeah. the struggles of people. But I just think it's so amazing that they, outside on the image, if anyone that knows of this book, it's called I'm Fine. And um, if you look it up, because the image of Enda on the, on the front of the cover is someone <laughs> screaming. It's someone in so much agony and so much pain. And it's so such a contrast to the title. Yeah, I I tell I'll tell you I'll I'll give your listeners because they're for tuning into your podcast. I give them the sneaky truth. So we went to the photographic studio and um, when we were getting the picture taken, I was doing you know this I was doing the Obama shot, you know, missed looking out the window, figuring out life, these sort of you know it's presidential scary, photos. Yeah. So about three hours into makeup and lights, I was like, oh my god, I want my dinner, I want my dinner, you know. So I said to David O'Sullivan, the photographer, brilliant, brilliant photographer. I said, uh, David, are we nearly done? He said, probably another hour, he said. And at that point, I went, ah, as in I'm starving. And he went, click. He said, that's the one. And I went, what's the one? And he showed it to me on the screen. He said, that's perfect. I like the the opposition of I'm fine with someone screaming. It's absolutely beautiful image. He said, we'll keep it. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want like, uh, you know, I want to be, uh, I want to be um, something noble or, you know, intelligent looking. But, you know, someone described it really well to me. They said it's a perfect cover for radio or a perfect cover for a podcast because it does say I'm fine. But the truth was I was screaming, you know, like the funny thing was like when I went into work, Stephen, I like when I was at my worst, I was drinking four bottles of whiskey a week. My Friday night drink was a bottle of. I don't know. Uh, you were a geography teacher, wasn't it, originally? Geography teacher, assistant principal in school. Uh, I would have been drinking four bottles of whiskey a week. Uh, my Friday night drink was a pint glass of vodka. Um, I'd nearly always drink uh, a bottle of cough syrup with a pint glass of vodka, if you can imagine that, like it would kill a normal human. Um, but the funny thing was, uh, you know, alcoholism, like any addiction, takes all sorts of shapes and forms. I'd never be out, never late. I was suited, booted. I'm the happiest man you ever met in your life. I was, always, you know, the fellow in work who, if you had a problem, he'd fix it. Yeah. Cracking a joke. I had three kids, like all the kids were bloody max points of the leave insert. They're all. PhDs, they're you know they're good people. A beautiful wife, lovely house, gorgeous car. Like I had everything, but like I tell people, the truth was I had everything, but I didn't have happiness. 
I didn't have my peace of mind. And did other people though? Do you take like obviously you're you keeping to yourself and you you had all these these masks that you yeah. had on? But do you think other people knew you were drinking so much? No, not a chance. Not a chance. Like it's like at the at the at the core of any addiction, you know, people often ask me that. You know, I'm asked to speak about addiction. At the core of addiction is dishonesty. I lied to my wife. I lied to my kids. I lied to my family. I lied to my parents. But I lied most of all to myself every day. You know, it, it's it's calculating. It's a snake. I was a snake. Like, like I'll, give, I'll give you a simple example. So if there was a staff night out um, at 8 o'clock on a Friday night, I would tell my wife that I was walking into town and instantly I would get praise for not driving. Like, that's good, isn't it? Drink, drive, don't do it. I didn't do it. Um, so I got the praise, um, but I would move the time an hour forward. So I'd walk to the event myself. Yeah. Um, I'd go past our local off license. I'd have a half, you know, shoulder of vodka, nagging of vodka in a bottle of Coke walking to the pub. Uh, when I get to the pub, I would have told everyone, you know, most people, if it's at eight o'clock in Ireland, people arrive at 20 past eight, half eight. Uh, I was there at seven. So I could have three pints, three pint patties, three whiskeys. Um, so at this stage, I've had half a bottle of vodka, an agony of vodka, three or four pints, three or four whiskeys. First person comes in, I might have a patty or a whiskey or a, a pint. And then they'd say, will you have another one? Ender? And I'd say, you know, I probably won't. I'll take it easy because I'm working tomorrow. You know, so I got the credit for not bringing the car, credit for there walking. Was, there, was, there was the saint that went home early. There was the saint that went home early. And I had probably more alcohol than five people in the room. You know, and when I went home, I probably would have had a few brandies. But like that was that was typical. Actually, the, the book's even interesting. We had the book finished and um, it's it's available on my website, endo.doherty.ie. And uh, I'll put links to all this in our podcast. Thanks. It's still available in, in, in bookshops. It hasn't made the bargain bin yet. But, um, you know, we would finish the book and it was due to come out and COVID struck. And uh, like a lot of people in Ireland, we went mental on gardening. Our, like our garden turned into a snooker table. Like it's just immaculate. It still looks good, actually. Brilliant. But um our garden shed was falling apart. We had it a hundred years. And when we went to remove it, um, my wife and myself were tidying up in the garden and I see a bottle and I see another bottle and I see another bottle and I see another bottle. And she's God, look at all the rubbish. And I stopped her and I said, no, that's not rubbish. I said, that's their bottles that I was drinking. And um, like what I used to do was she would, we had, you know, like we, we used to bring back all the cheap wine from France, you know, like, mm-hmm. Yeah. My my joke was that if we ever crashed coming out of Ross Lair, the kids would drown because we had that <laughs> we had that much wine in the car. But like you know, she'd send me out to the car out to the shed to get a bottle of wine. Yeah. Uh, I'd bring the corkscrew with me. I'd open the bottle of wine. I would scull the entire bottle of wine in twenty seconds. Bang, the whole bottle. Open a second bottle of wine. Pour her a large bottle, a large glass. Pour myself a small glass. She'd say, "Will you have another glass?" I'd say, "Ah, do you know what? I don't fancy it tonight." You know. Or what I'd often do is I would drink the bottle of wine, pour an inch of red wine into the wine glass and fill the wine glass with vodka. So I was having a large wine glass of vodka with a bit of red colouring. Um, but I said to her, look, those bottles are mine. And I can, I'm 15 years sober now, thank God. And I said to her, look, you need to know that's what I used to do. And um, geez, I rang the book company. I said, lads, you can't go ahead. And they said, no, no, it's contract printers, everything set up, you know, press release. I said, no, I don't want, like, I'm not agreeing. They said, why? And I said, I want to put a chapter in about COVID-19 and about the shed. 
and about dishonesty. So, yeah. <laughs> so the last chapter ended up being about the garden shed and, and, you know, it's a metaphor for lying to yourself or being dishonest, you know, and it like looking after your mental health and looking after being mindful. It, it, it does involve being honest, you know. Listen, we, we've talked about many of the, the challenges that you had and things that's happened over, over the years. And listen, it's it's bound to happen that somebody is listening to this podcast and they're walking around with those struggles, the same struggles I've had. A lot of the stuff you, you've said has resonated with me. Um, what one step would you recommend to someone? Who's well, do you know, I'll go, for, I'll go better. I'll say better than one step. I'll say one word, action. I think I spent a lot of time hoping that I was going to get better or hoping that something would change. And it's when I started doing stuff, like do something about whatever the issue is. So like, I mean, uh, I still have panic attacks. I still have anxiety disorder, but I'm in charge of it. It's not in charge of me. Um, and I know how to deal with it. And I know my triggers, like, you know, like I'm, I'm looking here. It's, it's like, I will be in bed every night before 9 p.m. I will have an hour of screen free time. Uh, I will do a bit of yoga before I get into bed. I will get up at six o'clock, half five tomorrow morning, no matter what. Ha- getting For me, getting up tomorrow morning at half five means tomorrow night, I do not need a sleeping tablet. I get into bed and I go three, two, one, gone, pig, snoring. Um, you know, I cannot let a day go without lifting or going to the gym. I have to exercise. It's my antidepressant. It's my, it's my happy pill. Um, you have a care bag there that you know what to. Yeah, yeah. I I love kebabs. I love dirty takeaway. Jesus, dirty tackle chip. You can't beat. Yeah, yeah, but I know too when I eat crap, I feel crap. And when I eat well, I feel well. Um, you know, I actions like if someone is toxic, hostile, negative, or a problem in my life. Like I can walk away from someone in the middle of a sentence. I can decide someone is not good for me and they won't, I don't even give them the respect. To think, I'm gone because I have to protect my sanity and my happiness. Um, do you know, it's a weird thing Stephen, we do. Like I find a lot of people do it. You know, I speak at a lot of conferences and I work with a lot of businesses and teams looking at mental health. And like, it's a really mad thing that Irish people do. We ring people we don't like regularly and stay in touch with them and we spend time with them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then when someone we really love or someone who makes us happy or someone who cares about our laughs, we're too busy for them, you know. But I I I'm like I, wrong people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I try to spend time with great people and reward the, the people in my life that matters, you know. Um like yeah. so the exercise, the sleep, the friendships, um setting goals for me sunshine is a big thing like i thank god i don't burn i tan like i have to get time in the sun um like like we come back from a holiday and on the monday morning down the travel agents with a fiver in my hand for a deposit because i need to have happiness dangling out in front of me you know if you're listening to this and you're struggling like the thing i discovered if it's used to people is that happiness i don't i don't let happiness happen by accident I don't hope, I don't get up and say, I hope I have a good day today. I actually pursue it. I actually bust my ass to make happiness happen. Right. So if you eat something good today, if you exercise today, if you talk to someone, if you learn something today, if you help someone today, like it's, if you, like I, I sometimes I go for a walk on Mondays, I do like a podcast or I listen to stand up comedian. I, I go for a walk. I listen to the dirtiest, filthiest jokes I can. And I'm walking along on my own. I'd say people think I'm mad and I'd be roaring laughing. But yeah. I come home and I feel better. Full of endorphins. Yeah, but like it's, it's um, like it's a process, you know. Like I said, long answer, but action, do stuff, and like, I think you know, 
I probably did the most stupid thing. I stopped, I went cold turkey on my drink and I would never recommend that to anyone. Like I should have gone to my GP. I should have got medication. I should have had counseling. Someone asked me recently, did you go to the A? And I said, no, sure. They're all losers. They're all drunks. And I could hear myself saying it. I couldn't see myself going to the A and say, hi, I'm Enda and I'm an alcoholic. I was too bloody vain and too stupid. But I tell you, if I was starting again, I would 100% be going to the AA and the support and the mentorship and the friendship. Uh, I'd 100% be going to my GP. I mean, I could have killed myself what I tried doing, stopping, you know, and, 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 and going complete cold turkey from the amount I was drinking, you know. But like, long answer, Stephen, actions do something. Like, tell someone, talk to something, try something. Like, you might think meditation is useless and it's not for you but it could be the key. And you might think, you know, how could ballroom dancing cure my depression? But it could. Like, I, I would say to people, if you're genuinely unhappy and if you're struggling, don't be a prisoner of it. Fight like hell. Get off your ass and fight for your happiness. Take it back. You deserve to be happy, you know? Keep trying and trying and eventually you'll, you'll find a... You'll find a combination, that, that, yeah, or you'll find yeah. people or you'll find something. It's waiting for it to end, I think, is, a, is you know, what take not good. I'm I'm getting from everything you're talking about from about the, the routine you have in your day, the the love you have for your wife, your family, everything like that. It just seems like moments. Uh, you've like you've just such an appreciation for life now. And um, there's a question that I've asked every single guest. And, oh no! Uh, on the, on this podcast, <laughs> it's, it's important one. You've listened to podcasts, you, so you you know what it is. Um, but I just think it's very important that, like you mentioned, mindfulness there, and it might be for some people, it might be others, but. There's so many different interpretations of mindfulness, and one thing I love about it is that everybody has they they'll find a way a part of mindfulness that works for them, whether that is meditating every morning and every evening, or whether that's just pausing during your day, or it's just stopping and looking and looking out for those moments in life to appreciate them. But for yourself, Enda, what like what would mindful living look like to you? Oh God, it's, you know, it's such a hard question. I suppose what's you, we were talking about looking after your mental health, that's mindful. Like being being aware that you're of value, being aware that you're lovable and be aware that you need to take care of yourself. Mindfulness for me is 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 not like I got caught up in a treadmill of drink, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, like life was spiraling away. Mindfulness is the exact opposite. It's stopping and saying, you know what, I need to be careful here of the number of takeaways. I need to drink less. I need to tell that person I love them. I need to spend my money on, like, I, I suppose, you know, it, it's a whole range of things. Do you know, Stephen, I'll tell you a great story. We had, we bought a skip uh, once, you know, for clearing out the house. And like all Irish people, you buy the cheapest skip the wrong size, right? You buy the small one, don't you? And then you stick as much as you can on the side and fill it in, right? So we were running out of space and we needed something to prop up the side of the skip. And... My wife said, oh, that old book, that bookcase inside, she were never using it again. So I got a hammer, and bang, 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 hit the bookcase and we put it on the two sides of the skip. And then we were able to put twice as much stuff in. So it was a summer's evening. I was dripping sweat and she came out with a lovely glass of water and we sat down and we were looking at the skip and I was covered in dirt. And I said to her, I said, you remember the day we got that bookcase? She said, yeah, yeah, years ago. We, we'd saved up and it was a furniture shop in New Ross and we went over to buy it. And it, I remember we like, you know, when you get married first, new objects, we used to sit looking at the bookcase like, wow, we have a bookcase. And here it was years later, beating it with a hammer and it was reduced to the side of a skip. And, you know, we're, we're, we're a good team. Thankfully, we're together 35 years and 
we we're of a similar mindset. She's the kindest woman in the world. Of, you know, she's the most gentle person. And it was literally on the front door of the step. We sat there and we said, that's it. We're not spending our money on objects anymore. Okay. You need a car, you need a house. But after that, let's spend our money on experiences. Let's spend our money on joy. So we spend our money on travel. Like I, I love like every penny I get, I travel and I go somewhere, you know? So like we went to Florida this year, but we we did the Disney thing, but we did rural Florida. We went to the place like where they'd never seen an Irish person before. You know, we were like, we were like three legged giraffes the way they were looking at us. But, um, you know, I we went to Vienna and we went to London. I went to, uh, what did I go to see? I went to, I love my music. I went to Hamilton because I love hip hop. Um, we went to Alexander Hamilton, but like some people say, God, you're having a great life, but having a Rex, having a fiver in the bank, you know, yeah. and, and, I'm be happy and there's bits of the house falling down, but like mindfulness is about looking after you and, and realizing that like I, I said it at the pendulum thing that, you know, the, I, I, you know, the average person listening to your podcast lives 28,000 days. That's very, very little time. So for me, mindfulness is about being aware of who you are, what, what you can do in the world and how you can get the best out of your life. You know what? I, I was um, speaking at a conference in Baltimore and I said, I don't know, like a lot of, I said a lot of gobbledygook motivational things. But one thing that went mad after the conference was I, I didn't realize it just came out. I said, you know, the fundamental thing about us as humans is our humanity, our ability to communicate and help other people. That's what makes us special. And it's 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 all of those things together for mindfulness. Like I, I, I'm not I've tried mindfulness in terms of meditation, Stephen, I tell you, I I, I've the pint of Shavasana is your only man, but I, I, the first few times I went to yoga at the first night, I was there. It was lovely. It was really nice. And uh, there's a brilliant yoga practitioner in water called Stephen Rocket. Right. The man is a gentleman, fantastic guy. But uh, I was doing my yoga with Stephen. Actually will be a great guy to have on the podcast. He just has such a lovely way of describing life. But um, he got to the Shavasana and he was lying down and I was really relaxing. And I paid my tenor and then I could hear this fella snoring. And I was like, ah, oh, lads, and like I, it was getting louder. And I was like, I didn't pay a tenor to listen to this. This is a load of rubbish. So I sat up to see where this fellow was. But sure, it was me. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was honking, you know, yeah. I, I've tried. I'm, I'm not great with meditation because I find it very hard uh, for my mind to slow. You know, I'd, I'd love to get better at that. Um, you know, I'd say, you know, you asked me earlier, but what would you do? Get help. Talk to someone. Get counselling. Like if I if I felt dodgy by lunchtime tomorrow, I'd be on the phone. I'd be getting a counsellor. I'd be getting help. It's and awareness. if I didn't like the counsellor, I'd be out the door in 10 minutes and find someone else. But I, 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 I'm not rolling around the mud surfing anymore. You know, I'd, I'd want a way out. Um, but I, I remember, one, you know, a couple of years back, the last time I went for counselling, and I remember the counsellor said, what would you like from this process? And, and I said, um, I'd like some peace. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, my brain is like a firework factory upside down. Like I just... Like I, when I listen to music, I can see colors, which is a really weird. I see patterns in music. And and she said, well, wh how bad is it? And I said to her, well, we were sitting in her like counseling room in her house. And I I could tell her when her motor tax was up, who she her car insurance was. With. I could tell her the car rage. I could tell her what year she graduated from university, what grade she got, because these were all the stuff that I'd seen as I walked into the house. And I said, I can tell you 10 books that are behind me on the shelf. And she said, Jesus, it must be hard living in that head. And I said, yeah, sometimes it is, you know. 
But um, if you go further back, Stephen, to one of our questions, one of the things I learned too is like everyone struggles. Every single person I know has challenges, has difficulties. You know, the the Instagram illusion where you have the perfect wife, the perfect life, it's bullshit. You know, it's like everyone cries, everyone bleeds, everyone has anxiety, everyone worries. You know, it's it's life, you know. But I think what I've learned is to enjoy it more, embrace it more. Um, I think it's, it's also important. To, I, and a, a couple of guests recently actually have brought the same thing up as well. That, and you said it there a while ago that you still have bad days. You still have those struggles. But, 100%, yeah. Um, some people think that, yeah, I mean, actually, it's was, it was only recently, actually, I was, I was at a, on a stag and um, I was telling somebody that, uh, oh, yeah, no, I, I knew him from 20 odd years ago. And I said, yeah, no, I struggled with my own mental health for a while and uh, I do mindfulness now. And he turned to me and goes, uh, so you're better now. And <laughs> I just smiled to myself and I said, well, I have the tools to cope anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah. Like, that some people think it's, it's like it's switch. Like it's just, yeah, you'll, you'll take some medication, you take some counseling and it'll be better. But it's, no, it's, nah, it doesn't work like that. I just think it's an awareness and like you said, an action that you know, right. Well, I'm feeling like this and now I know I have to take action on it. Like, and it's, yeah. it's not getting overwhelmed or going down some negative uh, thought pattern over and over again. That, yeah. um, it like, it's, it's a, it's a never ending cycle, but it's about having the power and the control. Yeah. It's control. Exactly. That's the word. Like, like it's, I have bad days now, but I, and I, I might have a really bad week, yeah. but that's as far as it goes. Um, you know, and I and I'm 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 mindful that I want to control it and that I want to do the right things. Like a typical day for me would be like we have breakfast in bed. Like it's you know when Valentine's comes and all the lads would be like, "Oh, did you give herself breakfast in bed?" Yeah. We have breakfast in bed every single day of yeah. our lives. Um, she brings it to me or I bring it to her because she's like our relationship is the rock that our family needs. So sometimes I'm in so busy in life and I work so hard that I don't see her. So we get 40 minutes to an hour together every morning where we plan out the week, the month, um, everything. Um, so we have our, our breakfast, maybe have our coffee. Um, I get up, like I said, really early, half five, six, because it means I, I don't, it, it fixes the sleeping problem for me. Um, every single morning where I live, I live right beside Waterford Castle down by the river. It's beautiful. I mean, I was out walking the other morning and there's freshwater dolphins swimming on the river with the castle behind it and the sun coming up. Like that sounds like one of those 1970s posters you'd see, you know, yeah. but that's, I, there's a, I walk through the woods every morning. Um, it's right behind our house. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, depending on what's happening work-wise, I'll go to the gym. Like I, I, I go into work or I meet people and they're like, mother God, are you on something? Because by nine o'clock in the morning, it's mid afternoon. I'm happy out. I'm charged, you know? And it's funny you meet, like it's, I, I posted something on Instagram there a few weeks back that, I met about eight or nine people one morning at walking and I noticed all nine had a massive smile and all nine gave me a massive greeting. And I was thinking, uh, am I lucky that I've met the nine happiest people in the world or is there a connection between the time of the day and what we're doing or where we were, you know? I think happiness um, is contagious as well. Yeah, it is. It is. It you're, really you're, is. You're giving off that, that vibration. People are going to pick up on it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, like through the day, you know, I'm very mindful to write down anything that's problematic or needs to be, I need to take an action or need to plan. I write it down rather than carrying it around in my head and going to bed saying, geez, I must ring Mary, must ring Mary, must I write ring Mary down at three o'clock. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really good to take an immediate action. Like, um, like 
you know, can you say hello? How are you in Chinese, Stephen? Not at the moment. Not yet. Okay. Okay. Not yet. Now here's the thing, right? You smiled and laughed and you said that you don't have any guilt attached to it because you don't practice Chinese, right? But most people I come across when I'm coaching and mentoring people, most people practice putting things off every day of the week and they practice putting things off multiple times a day. And as a result, they get world class at it. It's their automatic default position. Whereas my default position is Nike, just do it. Like if I have something that has to be done, I'll be doing it straight away because I can't be doing carrying this thing around my head going, I must read this, I must do that, I must do this, you know, and uh, do it. I think the same too, you know, with your, we were talking earlier about failure, you know, I said I've lost the filter. Like, yeah. um, you know, if something the doctor puts you across your leg over and hits your patella with the hammer and your knee, jo- yep. your leg yeah. shoots out. Yeah. I, I have that reflex now for fear. So that if I'm afraid of something or anxious something, within two seconds, I'm straight at it. Like I'm actually straight at it. Like I had to fill in a form today for an application and I knew in a previous life form filling would stress me and worry me. I put it off for three weeks and the night before the form was due, I'd fill it in badly and not get the job and then say, shit, nobody wants me. (laughs) So today I went, I was told I had to fill in a form. I was back within five minutes with the form filled out and I feel great. It's the same form that was torturing me in a previous life, you know, but uh, what's a friend of mine called? Immediate and bloody action. Do stuff. Do stuff straight away and get it out of the way, you know. But it's not like, it's funny too. I think people, you know, will often buy books and, you know, they'll talk to people and try to learn, you know, this perfect life or this perfect way. And we're we're all imperfect. And what works for me and what has helped my life will help some of your life. But it might be totally unsuitable for you. And it's it's about each of us finding out, you know, you know back to people, what's mindful figuring out who you are, figuring out where you are, figuring out what works for you, what, what what will bring happiness and contentment into your life, into your world, you know, and it's different for everyone, you know. I think that's a lovely place to finish the conversation tonight um, and just to tell people just it's different for everyone. Just absolutely. whatever happiness means to you. Absolutely. Enda, I absolutely, unbelievably appreciate you coming on the show and sharing such wisdom uh, with people and I know it will have an absolute positive p- impact you mentioned earlier on that if we can just help one person I think we probably help a few hundred people tonight um, with the wisdom you've shared so listen thank you so much um, if people want to get in contact with you um, what's the best way to get in contact well the, ga- the gas thing is a lot of people have business cards if you google Irish man and washing machine I promise you'll find me <laughs> <laughs> It's oh, like, so, yeah. So how's your, how's so, your SEO for Irishman and washing machine? Uh, incredibly, I'm ranking one. I don't know what the story is with <laughs> SEO, but look, yeah, if you Google it, my website is endodarty.ie. You'll find me on LinkedIn. You'll find my podcast everywhere. It's called the Mighty Mini Podcast. Um, very different from, from your podcast. What I tried to do was, do you know when you're, when you're having a wee or you're boiling the kettle? Yeah. They're the mini ones. They're about three minutes long. And they're just usually just me talking. And then the mighty ones, I try to bring on um, people that I don't understand don't or people I don't like or people I don't know anything about. So I've had wow. a huge mix of people because yeah. I don't want to be that, part, you know, preconceived ideas of people. But um, yeah, endodart.ie, mighty mini podcaster, look, sure, you'll find, you'll find me yeah. everywhere, you know. The washing machine, man. Yeah, God. <laughs> endodart, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Living Guide. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. There you go. Endo Hodarty. One of the most generous people I've ever met with their time. Um, after we put stopped recording, 
we must have spent about an hour and a half just chatting and uh, he shared some amazing advice with me personally and just in uh, for life you know about just grasping life and like we only have one shot at this we only have one go and the advice that i really took from this uh, episode was that just take action what one action can you take tomorrow that will help you so listen i'm stephen downey this is the mindful living guide and if you're new i'd encourage you to go back and look at the other episodes um there's a a good catalogue of, of guests there that have just shared their journey and just shared what, what mindfulness has meant to them. And what you will learn is that mindfulness means different things to different people. You know, there's not just one size fits all. And it's important to remember that um, it's all about just giving yourself that space, giving yourself that little bit of curiosity and give yourself time. So I'm Stephen Downey and this has been The Mindful Living Guide.